Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Savvy Business, Life Unscripted, with your host, Christina Rivera, where our guests share their wisdom and valuable business tips, empowering our audience to expand their personal potential. Hi, Peter Oliver. Welcome to Unleash Your Story. I'm so grateful to have you here today. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you betcha. I mean, sales is one of the biggest, and we're going to talk about sales today. You are the Sandler's Training Center. You have several locations. You really help people become winning sales um, people, reps, and get out there and sell their best for their business and in companies. Um, but you're going to share with us today some of your expertise. But before we go there, I'd like you to share a little bit of your backstory with your audience who might not know who you are. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I grew up in sales, technology sales, started as a rep and evolved into a leader and spent close to eight years with that company before I decided to leave and start a Sandler training business. And I've been in that business for 12 years. We now have three locations, one in Hawaii, one in Texas, one in Boston. And we get up every Monday morning looking forward to a week of helping our clients succeed at the, at the roles. And it's, tell me what, you know, how you've been in sales for a long time. And one thing I get from a lot of business owners, it's like the one thing that I don't want to do in my business. They say if you haven't done sales as a sales rep. And even some people who did sales for another company, but when they start their own company, they kind of avoid it like the plague. Why is that you think? Uh, there's some common misconceptions about it. I don't think a lot of us grew up saying, man, I can't wait till I grow up and become a salesperson. I don't think that went through a lot of our heads as, as in our youth. And you're right though, we work with a lot of small business owners and they're really good at what they do, but they didn't necessarily decide to start a business because they loved selling things. So they had to learn really quick that they had to figure out how to work that into the equation. And I think part of the head trash around it is, you know, I think we as humans hate to be sold to, but we love to buy things. So yeah. if if we approach the sales process, like we're enabling somebody else's ability to make a decision, I think sales can actually be pretty fun because we're doing it in our client's best interest. So that's, that should be anyway. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
And in fact, I, I had said that in past episodes, uh, when people have come to me for advertising, there are some people that just don't fit our, our audience or, or our brand. And I will quite literally turn them down and send them to another show because I don't want to hurt our brand and I don't want to hurt them. There's no, no reason just to take money to take money because in the long run, it hurts your brand. It puts out a bad rap. Oh, look, they took my money and then they ran. And, and then it's just a bad word gets out and people don't want to do business with you. Absolutely. I mean, we, we want everything to be a win-win. And if you're doing everything in your client's best interest, then there's nowhere to go but up from there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, interesting, you wrote a wonderful book called Making the Climb, which is really going to help people get to understanding a sales. But you have something in your book called Identity versus Role, uh, the Success Triangle, which I thought was very interesting. Share a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a basically two parts of our being there's there's who we are and then there's what we do and a lot of times the roles that we play in life if we fail at something it bleeds over into our identity and we take it personally and i think a lot of us were brought up that way and we were uh praised for with recognition when we did something well and but if we didn't do something well then it hurt and not only did it hurt us in the role that we were playing but it it tends to hurt us personally and the goal of IR theory is to literally separate the two things and make sure that our identity is constantly protected. And we call it I-10 status. So we know we're always going to be an I-10. Like if we gave ourselves a rating at birth, what would we give ourselves? We give ourselves a 10. But then what happens? Life happens. We start failing at things and, and it, it can hurt. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the roles that we fail at should hurt our identity. So what ends up happening is as you evolve into adulthood, you end up basically executing any role that you play in a way that's consistent with how you see yourself conceptually. Mm -hmm. So if, we, if we're hurting as a person, we won't allow ourselves to succeed in our roles. So the goal is to separate that back and then make sure that we're always an I-10. That way we can be honest with ourselves about the roles that we are playing in life and then give ourselves a real evaluation, even if it's less than 10, so that we can have the ability to improve and go from there. Yeah, that's fascinating because when you talk to some business owners, especially getting started, they'll see themselves in certain roles like, oh, I, I do whatever. Like I started this knitting business and you love knitting. You're good at it. But there's a lot of stuff that goes around running a business besides the knitting that you're doing, it, sales, marketing, whatever, have uh, accounting. And if they're less than perfect at that, they'll try to put it aside, put it aside, put it aside. And eventually the business just goes up in flames without realizing, okay, I'm not going to be good at everything, but I have to learn it or hire someone to do the portions I'm not good at. Absolutely. And we've seen it over and over again with successful business leaders, sales mm -hmm. folks. If they have a a poor self-worth, if you will, then it's going to impact their comfort zones. They're going to be afraid of failure. They're going to stay inside their little, their little bubble of knowledge that they already have. And it's going to be hard for them to climb and get better. But if our eyesight is protected, our R can get better because we're okay with failure. We have a good intellectual humility. We're, we're good with understanding that we're not perfect in our roles and we're going to get better as we go. 
Yeah. And, and without realizing one thing I've gotten, like one of my friends is a, um, a painter and she paints, but when it comes time to having a gallery exhibit and start, people start looking at her paintings and they're like, well, how much is this painting? She's like, 1500 you know it's like she gets very uncomfortable and she says for her she feels like she's actually selling herself now the paintings are very personal to her because she created them um but what have you found to help people get over or past the idea that yeah you're, you're selling something that someone wants like she's selling paintings people want the painting but she's making it like if they turn it down for the price that they've turned her down it's a personal thing how have you how have you helped your clients with a situation such as that yeah, I mean, that, that's the exact purpose for IR theory is if something negative happens in the roles that you play, it, it, it doesn't need to impact you personally. You could separate your I from your R and then move forward from there. I think a lot of times, too, we it, there's other reasons why we might not believe that our, our stuff is worth what it's actually worth. But the, the biggest reason why is you, you don't have the belief system that supports the value behind whatever it is that you're selling. And and it, it, the minute you start believing it, everybody around you will too. Wow. You just said something very important. I, I found that I, I talked to one guy a couple of years ago. He was selling uh, something that I thought was a pretty big dollar amount. And he just went out there and it was selling to super huge businesses. And the same day I talked to another friend like my girlfriend who was selling her paintings and it was a much smaller dollar amount and she couldn't sell. And I, I think from what I gathered from the both of them, one walked in with confidence, like, boom, I got this to help your life out and you're going to love it. And that just came across like, oh yeah, yeah, I want some of that. How have you helped your the people you work with kind of get that mindset going so that they could actually not let it defeat them? Yeah, I think a lot of it truly needs to be based on value, especially if you're selling a solution to another business. Mm -hmm. if, if you know what it's costing them to not fix the problem, then that should set your ceiling on what the budget for that solution should be. Mm -hmm. So if we do a good job of understanding the situations our clients are in, and we know the impact of the problem that they have inside their business, mm -hmm. then it should be easier for us to, to believe that our stuff is worth it. Because as an, let's say they have a million dollar problem, then what's our stuff worth if we can fix it? Exactly. And if they have a million dollar problem and you show them once how to do it and they can keep doing it, then they've just actually compounded it. Is it whatever they're going to pay you, 10,000, they've now multiplied it. They're going to make millions. Yeah. And I think a lot of times in a, in a professional selling environment, there's a lot of talk about return on investment. And that usually happens at the end of the sales process when the client goes into justification mode. Yeah. But if we do a better job of understanding the client's business during the sales process, then it makes the ROI conversation much easier at the end. Now, what have you found? Do you find that people are just not often prepared for when they walk into a sales presentation? I mean, that's that's possible. I think sometimes we're carrying around some money concept baggage that hurts us in the professional environment. Yeah. Those of us, including myself, that didn't grow up with a boatload of money, we, we could have a scarcity mentality when it comes to that. And it could yeah. come out in the way that we approach our clients. So that, that becomes part of the head trash we try to remove. And IR theory is part of how we help our clients do that for sure. You know, what's interesting, Peter, what you just said there, I recall my first year in business, I was sitting down with a client and I told her that my consulting fees were like $60 an hour or something like that. And coming from in the past, an employee mindset and talking to a friend who's an employee, which is like, who do you think you are to get paid $60 an hour? And I was like, what do you mean? And uh, so, but it's interesting. What is 
talked out in front of you, like my friend saying that to me, it was actually what was actually going on inside of me, but she just voiced it and brought it to the table. And I was like, huh, who am I? You know? And uh, so it's an interesting topic to think about when you start getting that pushback. Is it really coming from the person you're talking to? Is it something maybe inside of you that's just playing out? It, it could be a little bit of both. And I, I do believe that it will, within reason, make as, as exactly as much money as we believe we're worth, especially if we're in sales, because the, the skies tends to be the limit when, when you're in that type of profession. Yeah. So share with me, what came about to having you create Making the Climb, your book? Why did you decide to create it? Yeah, well, I, I experienced that jump. And the book talks a lot about the jump from going from an individual contributor to a leader. And throughout uh, most people's career, I think arguably the toughest jump where it feels like you're crossing this gigantic chasm is when you go from an individual contributor to a leader. And in our programs, we have a lot of people that are want to make that climb or have already made it and are mentoring other people. And there, there tends to be some misconceptions there that I wanted to write about and talk through. And then there, there is a solution to making that climb in a successful way so that you don't make the same mistakes that myself and, and some other managers that had made that climb did. Now, are you talking about the leadership position from when you were working purely in, in a company or when you actually launched your own business? This particular, okay. yes, both, but a lot, of, a lot of it happens when you're inside a company and then you elevate to a management position, or if you decide to start a business and hire people, the same things would apply. Yeah. And you know what I'm thinking, just because you can sell your pants off as, you know, one of the sales reps and now you become a sales leader, there's totally different, uh, how do you call it, skills needed to do that job. How did it work for you jumping into the leadership position? What was the hardest part for you? Well, for me, when, when I when I got my first leadership role, I was 28 years old and two thirds of the people that I was managing were older than I was. So I had some issues wondering if I, I was actually ready and some confidence issues around whether or not I can lead a team. So that that's one issue that some leaders face. Another issue that leaders face is the fact that they are really good at what they do and they expect everybody else to be able to do it exactly the same way they did. Yeah. And that is an absolute recipe for disaster. And in the book, I call it the super rep syndrome. But that's that's definitely something that new leaders need to get over. Yeah, I, I've I've heard such a thing with uh, new business owners, too. Like they touch every part of their business, even when they start to hire help, because they feel like, well, no one's going to do it as good as I, my, as I take care of my baby. Um, but. Oh, super rep. I've never heard that. Is it, did they think they sell better than everyone else and they're scared to let the reins go and the other people just bring in the sales or. Yeah, there's some of that. And plus they, they believe that their way is going to work. So instead of coaching up reps and allowing the rep to determine their own path, mm -hmm. they end up telling the rep how to do something, which creates learned helplessness. And it, it becomes a stifling culture when mm -hmm. nobody can do anything unless the, it's the leader's idea. So the other common problem is what you said about new leaders where they have trouble giving up control. Mm. I, I think a lot of times as you evolve into a leadership role, the, you think that you have more control, mm -hmm. but the reality is your world got bigger, but you get less control because there's more going on around you mm -hmm. and having an environment where you can lead, but not necessarily control everything mm -hmm. is one of those, those things that new leaders need to figure out really fast. 
Yeah. And one thing I found when I entered the leadership role is really gaining and gardening the respect of the individuals I'm working with because respect is not just given. You have to earn it. That People aren't going to be like you walk in the room. Hey, yeah, we, we trust you. And so what I found is when I walked in the very first day to lead these people and I told them go do this and that, I was doing just that. I was trying to uh, micromanage, um, thinking that, but it really, it, it, how did it say? They didn't trust me as much because I was doing that micromanaging bit. I had to learn to trust them, see what their skills were, learn from them and let go. So it was a process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we talk a lot about the different types of leadership roles and sometimes leaders are playing the role of supervisor and, or coach or mentor. And if you're in that coach role or that mentor role, the, the listening skill becomes the, the majority of what you need to get good at when you're coaching and mentoring. Supervising, yeah, maybe you can talk a little bit more. But those other two roles, learning to separate those out and treat those conversations differently is is part of what allows you to become a good leader. This sounds great. Well, I don't want us to leave this chat without people finding out how they get their very own copy of Making the Climb and find out how they can work with you and do sales training. How can they do all that? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. That's the best way to find me. Our website is salefish.sandler.com. S-A-L-E-F-I-S-H dot Sandler dot com. And you can buy the book on Amazon. Great. Now, tell me one thing. I'm curious. Why did you say call it sales fish? Where, why fish? Where did that come from? Oh, geez. It's funny. I've had clients say, hey, Pete, did you pick sailfish? Because if you Bring teach somebody to fish, you yeah. can feed them for a lifetime versus yeah. giving them a fish. You can feed them for a day. I'm like, you know what? That's a great idea. Yeah. But no, that was not it. I, <laughs> Sandler, David Sandler, who created our system a bunch of years ago, and, and some of the old tapes used to talk about the bonding and rapport phase of a call, and he'd fast forward over it, and he would say, sailfish, 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 because there was a sailfish on somebody's wall. So it was an old David Sandler-ism that wow. I decided I would, I thought it was catchy and short, so that's why we named the company Sailfish. Hey, but it could use that other meeting as well, because you you are teaching people to go out there and fish, and that will set them up for life to be able to take care of themselves and be uh, productive in the sales industry. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, Peter Oliver, I just have to thank you again for to come today to chat on Unleash Your Story on Savvy Broadcasting. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Like, subscribe, and share this episode. To listen to more savvy episodes and savvy biz tips, go to www.lifeunscriptedradio.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at lifeunscriptedradio.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.